The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome back to the With the First Pick podcast. I am your host, Brian Perez. We are once again brought to you by the Fansided Podcast Network, and we have a special show lined up for you guys and gals tonight. It's going to be our mock draft, our 2019 mock draft, with once again our special guest, Luke Easterling, who I'll bring on here in a minute. But the draft is less than, well, basically one day away. It's it's tomorrow. If this podcast runs Wednesday morning, maybe you get a sneak peek and listen to it late Tuesday night. But we have finally arrived after a year of scouting reports and evaluations and tape study and mock drafts essentially since October, even sooner. Some people were writing these even sooner. So all the questions will finally be answered in 24, 36 hours or so. Who's going to go number one? Will it be Kyler Murray? Is it a huge smokescreen? This is what makes the NFL draft season fun. This is what it's all about. It's we're basically it's Christmas Eve, and, and we're we're ready to to finally tear open those boxes with the pretty bows and ribbons and see what gift lies behind the wrapping paper. And Luke Easterling, my buddy from the Draft Wire, are you as excited as a kid waiting for Christmas morning, or what? Yeah, man, that's where we're at now. You, uh, you know, earlier this week or maybe even last week, you're still, you know, there's so much to do. There's so much work. You're still trying to put the finishing touches on on all the content that we've been putting out. But, man, once you get to this point, I mean, the, the hay's in the barn for us at this point. So it's it's just kind of the waiting game, and uh, it, it really does feel like uh, like the first those last couple of days before Christmas. If you don't, if you haven't bought it yet, you're not going to the mall on Christmas Eve. You're not going to do that to yourself. You just you got to wait it out and go with what you got. That's <laughs> that's you're absolutely right, man. So here here's the ground rules, okay, for all you guys and gals listening. Luke and I have not prepared for this mock draft, and I know that could sound crazy, but we've written plenty of mock drafts over the draft season. We've studied this draft for, it seems like, forever, so we're, we're prepared and well-equipped to kind of go on the fly here, and to be honest, in our opinions, this is the best way to simulate what's actually going to happen on draft night when you know nobody knows what's going to happen with the pick or two picks or three or four picks before this a particular team is on the clock. So we're going to kind of simulate that tonight. We're using the awesome tool over at thedraftnetwork.com to kind of run through this mock draft, to keep our board organized, to go through the teams. Since I'm the host, Luke, I'm going to take the odds. You could take the evens, which obviously puts me on the clock here at number one overall. Thank God Before you're taking the started. odds because now I don't have to deal with all the Bucks fan followers I have <laughs> criticizing my pick. I can just tell them to make fun of you. <laughs> hey, man, listen, I am here for the love and – the opposite of the love on Twitter. Bring it. You can follow me on Twitter at Brian Perez NFL. That's Brian with a Y. You could follow Luke at Luke Easterling uh, as well. Uh, great draft follow and follow all his work, obviously, over at the Draft Wire. If you're not checking out my stuff at withthefirstpick.com. Now that those shameless plugs are over with, Luke, any last minute buzz or storylines you want to kind of touch on before we get into this mock? I, I tell you what, man, I... I- I'm still convinced that, that at this point that we're going to see Kyler Murray be the first pick. I'm just not convinced it's going to be the Arizona Cardinals making that pick, man. What about you? I don't know, man. I, I just I just cannot imagine at this point 
Kyler Murray not being an Arizona Cardinal. I, I get the fact that the NFL draft process is a gigantic smoke screen. It's a gigantic game of chess or for us, less skilled players, checkers. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I just cannot see a team that holds the number one pick passing on the one franchise player in this class at the quarterback position. And when I mean franchise player, I don't, I don't mean a guy that's coming into the league with an elite grade like a Peyton Manning or an Andrew Luck, but a guy who for today's NFL is going to be making a ton of plays, is going to win a lot of games. I know the Russell Wilson comp can be a little cheap at this point, but it really fits. It really works. And, and Kyler Murray, not only for his playing style, but for the impact that he could have on the Cardinals you can't pass a guy like that up, even if you have a player with a lot of upside and a lot of talent in Josh and Josh Rosen. You can move him for another draft pick. Keep him on the roster. Who cares what you do with him? You just don't pass Kyler Murray. You don't pass on a potentially great player because you have a very good one already at the position on your roster. So I think that segues us really nicely into the draft and the number one pick, which pretty obvious here, Arizona Cardinals. We're going to go with Kyler Murray. So Luke, make sure you're entering that in your screen here on the draft networks mock draft. So now at number two, the San Francisco 49ers, my friend, where are we going? Oh yeah, my bad. I gave you Cole Tracy. Sorry. <laughs> I went kicker for you there, man. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Hey, listen, man, listen, I'm a Chicago bears guy. All right. Let's not talk kickers because kickers can end seasons as we saw <laughs> last year. All right. It's still an open wound I'd appreciate no salt being thrown this way. Hey, hey, I appreciate kickers too because uh, the Matt Bryant curse uh, usually bites the Bucks. <laughs> in this case, a game-winning field goal from Matt Bryant uh, made the Bucks pick fifth instead of like ninth. So I'm pretty. Hey, happy there you that. go, man. There you go. They are important. They are important. This, you know, you, your pick seemed pretty easy for you. This pick is extremely easy for me. San Francisco 49ers. They're picking at number two. John Lynch just said this week that he hates picking at number two, but he loves picking at number two. If you know what he means. Uh, and this is why, because with the Arizona Cardinals going with a quarterback at number one, that leaves Nick Bosa on the board. The 49ers need an edge rusher, and they're going to get, arguably, in some people's mind, the best player in the draft overall at number two. That feels like a steal to me, and it's an easy pick. It's Nick Bosa. So far, we're going chalk, right? This is no curveballs yet, but here we are at number three, the New York Jets. I missed the good old days when the draft was at Radio City Music Hall in New York because this was always the highlight of the first round when the New York Jets were on the clock and the rabid Jets fans in attendance would be you know, doing the J-E-T-S chant. The Kyle Brady memories from, I believe, the 1995 draft. We that's want still, that. We want that. <laughs> That's still one of the greatest draft moments for all the wrong reasons. That was just a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to watch unfold. And we're going to have another curveball here, Luke. The New York Jets are going to throw the first curveball in the first round. They want to trade down. They want to trade down because the player that they valued the highest or the most, the player that I think is the top guy on their board, is a player that they could probably slide down in six, seven spots and maybe still get. Everyone's going to be clamoring for Josh Allen, the edge rusher from, from Kentucky, the best player on the board, arguably could be Quinn Williams. But they're going to go Ed Oliver, Houston here, because, uh, yeah, Oliver's going to be the guy because the, the comp to Aaron Donald is very real. And when you can get a player with an Aaron Donald skill set, you don't pass that up. And the, the way the NFL is trending right now, Edge rushers are obviously extremely important. They will always be important, but you need to get that pass rush from all angles of the defense. And to me, being able to disrupt the pocket right in the quarterback's face, right from that interior defensive lineman position is starting to become even more valuable than the guy that can bend the edge and get the quarterback from his blind side. Look, you got guys like Kyler Murray. You got guys like uh, Russell Wilson. You have guys even like Patrick Mahomes who... They can make plays so quickly, and they can ev- they can evade and avoid the edge rushers. But when somebody's coming right at them, straight ninety miles an hour, right in their face, that disrupts the entire offensive play scheme or play design. A guy like Ed Oliver, man, sign me up. He started the season as the potential number one pick. Everybody got bored, tried to find reasons to not like him. He's the number three pick overall. I, I love the way that you explained that because that's exactly uh, the train of thought that I'm going to take here with the number four pick. You've got a team in the Oakland Raiders who, much like the Jets, have a bigger need in at edge rusher. But like you said, it's about value. It's about getting the best overall players in this draft. And while you can look at the, the Raiders roster and say, you know, I don't like the edge rushers, but they've got some solid talent in the interior. They've got Maurice Hurst. they got P.J. Hall. 
But is are those two players and the need at end really enough to make you take maybe a Josh Allen over Quinn and Williams, who in my opinion is the best player in this draft? Getting that guy at number four, I can't pass that up, especially since I've got three more picks in the top 35 if I'm the Oakland Raiders to spend to fill my bigger needs. I can't not take Quinn and Williams here. And look, I mean, some people are going to say this is the start of the turnaround for the Raiders, right? I mean, getting a player who in a traditional year could be considered the top overall prospect in the class. I mean, Quinn Williams is a super young, super talented, super high upside player at a super valuable position. Grabbing him at number four, that that's a home run for the Raiders. And now we arrive at number five, your Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which to be quite honest, they can go in a bunch of different directions here. The way the draft has fallen so far, I think they would have loved to have seen Ed Oliver slip to them. He's off the board. They may have also liked to have seen a, a, a dream come true at Quinn Williams slipping to them. I know you would have more insight about Gerald McCoy and whether or not he has a future remaining in Tampa Bay. He doesn't. But at the end, okay, so so there's that, right? But there's no real interior defensive lineman prospect right now that I think uh, trumps the value of some of these other guys that are on the board at number five. I think the uh, Buccaneers need to improve their pass rush and why not take the best pass rusher left on the board, right? Josh Allen, Kentucky. I don't think the Buccaneers would have started this draft thinking Allen would slip to them. I think a lot of mock drafts have Allen going number three to the Jets. To get him at number five makes a ton of sense. Add the pass rusher who had 17 sacks in the SEC last year. Bring him to Tampa Bay. Let him wreak havoc on the NFC South quarterbacks. Josh Allen is the pick. Uh, it's a brilliant pick. Uh, I think that any scenario that leaves Ed Oliver or Quentin Williams or Josh Allen on the board at five is huge for the Buccaneers. Uh, you know, Devin White, the LSU linebacker, has been kind of the guy that's been pegged to them. To them. And understandably so, but I think that he would make more sense if all those guys are off the board. If Josh Allen's there, man, I can't imagine them taking uh, an inside linebacker over a pass rusher like that. That leaves me uh, with the New York Giants here at six, the first of two first-round picks, two top 20 picks they have after the Odell Beckham trade. Uh, And this is an easy one for me. I don't know if this is the way things would shake out on Thursday night, uh, but if I'm Dave Gettleman, if I'm calling the shots here for the Giants, I have absolutely got to get a franchise quarterback, and there's no way I'm waiting until pick 17 after teams like Denver, teams like Cincinnati, Miami, Washington. All four of those teams have to pick before I pick again. I'm at six. In my opinion, the best quarterback in this draft is Dwayne Haskins. He's still on the board, and he's my pick. It's going to be such an awesome and interesting and dramatic and just it's what the draft is all about at the number six pick when the Giants are up. I mean, you have the biggest media market in the country, a controversial general manager and Dave Gettleman, all the offseason drama that has that has really kind of centered around this team, the Odell Beckham trade. The, the support and backing of Eli Manning in the in the face of what is clearly an eroding skill set. I like this call, Luke, and and we spoke about this uh, in one of our many uh, online discussions about what could happen in this draft. And I think the breadcrumbs that were left behind tell the story of Dwayne Haskins going to the Giants when Eli Manning goes out to lunch with Dwayne Haskins. You know, Eli Manning is essentially the godfather of the New York Giants right now, and, and if he gives his blessing on the quarterback that will eventually replace him in the starting lineup, they're going to take him. And, you know, look, he's not going to go break bread with Wayne Haskins just because he wants to get to know the kid as a person. He's breaking bread with him to find out, is this the kind of guy that can be in the same quarterback room with me who will not be the kind of player who's going to have an ego or think he's the best guy in the room, but would rather learn from me, allow me to truly have a season as the starter and mentor him along the way. And I think, that lunch date, for lack of a better term, is something that could seal the deal here. Now, maybe Haskins didn't impress him. Maybe there's other questions surrounding Haskins that we're not aware of. But I think that that was a major, major clue that a lot of people have kind of overlooked over the last couple of days. And if Eli went back to Gettleman and said, look, man, this this is the guy, then he's the pick at number six. So I think that's a great call. Now we're up at number seven with the Jaguars. Jaguars have a, a variety of needs. They're, a, they're another wild card pick here in the first round, which, you know, this is what's going to make this draft really fun, right? I mean, we have a lot of picks here in the top 10 that can go in so many different directions. You have TJ Hawkinson as a really, really viable option for them. Uh, you have a, a lot of great defensive players still on the board. A guy like Devin White is still there, a, a player that some 
project as a top five pick. You have Jawan Taylor, the, the highest graded offensive tackle on most big boards, also there uh, in the first round. And I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick at that position, and I'm going to go off the beaten path here, Luke. The number seven pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I feel really confident that this player is going to come off the board in the top eight or nine picks. And I'm going to just put him here to Jacksonville, number seven, Alabama offensive tackle Jonah Williams. Now. Why? Why is Jonah Williams going here? Well, first of all, he's going to reunite with his college teammate, Cam Robinson, who's the starting, I believe, left tackle, right, right. Uh, for Jacksonville this year. You put Jonah Williams on the right side, give him a shot to start at right tackle. If he fails, kick him inside the guard. He'll be an all-pro guard, all-pro center for the next 10 years. I think he could even be an all-pro offensive tackle. You don't pass on a guy with the kind of football IQ that Jonah Williams has. He keeps binders and notes on every single defender he's gone up against in the SEC. He's going to bring that kind of character with him to the NFL. He's the kind of player you want to trust to block for your quarterback. Jonah Williams, number seven overall, the best offensive lineman in the class, does not get past this point. He's a Jaguar. Yeah, I honestly think this is the pick we'll see Thursday night. I'm pretty confident in the fit. I think that uh, Tom Coughlin, in terms of the type of player that he would want in a top 10 pick, I think it's going to make too much sense. I I think you're trying to protect your investment in Nick Foles as your franchise quarterback now. Uh, and, And I just think that, I mean, how many players can say they came into a defending national champion Alabama team and started as a freshman? And that's exactly what Jonah Williams did. He played both tackle spots at a high level, played against the best pass rushers in the country for, for his entire career. Uh, and I just think that makes too much sense with, with the fit, the need, uh, and with Tom Coughlin calling the shots there at the top. I, I think that makes too much sense. That puts me on the board with Detroit uh, at number eight. Again, you mentioned TJ Hawkinson as, as a possibility there, and, and I understand the, the value of a weapon like that. But I, I'm going to go in a different direction here. I think that when you look at what the, the Lions did in free agency, uh, I know it makes sense to, you know, that they filled the need in terms of edge rusher with Trey Flowers, but I, you can never have too many pass rushers. And I feel like this, this draft is too deep at the top. And I feel like there's a significant cutoff at some point uh, in this class and maybe even before the Lions get to pick again uh, in terms of trying to add another talented pass rusher. So I'm going to go with a pass rusher here. I'm going to go. Uh, with who I believe to be maybe the most technically sound pure pass rusher in this draft, including Josh Allen, including Nick Bosa. And I'm going to go with Brian Burns from Florida State. Interesting, interesting pick, Luke. Uh, Brian Burns is all over the board. You look at some big boards have him in the mid to late 20s. Some guys, I think the Draft Network actually has him as like an elite top four or five player, if not higher. Brian Burns is a really exciting player to watch on tape. The athleticism, the twitch, the the just the the explosive uh, skill set that he brings to the table. Again, I, I I circle back to that Bears fandom that I that I, that runs deep within my veins. I just see a fear for Leonard Floyd Part Two. Now, Leonard Floyd is a good starting edge defender in the NFL, but he's not the sack artist everyone thought he was going to be coming out of Georgia. And the reason why I kind of th- see some similarities is the size. The, the, the lean frame, Brian Burns struggled to get up to 249, 250 pounds for the combine. He's probably going to play in the NFL closer to 235. Is that a guy that can really win consistently against NFL offensive linemen? We're going to find out, but pure upside. Yeah, that's a great pick. Why not get a guy that can hunt the quarterback and that's what he'll do. And it brings us to number nine overall in the Buffalo Bills. You talk about hunting the quarterback. I think the Buffalo Bills are going to try to prevent those quarterback hunters from getting home on Josh Allen. And they can go in a bunch of different directions here. Obviously, they, there's there's a lot of talent still sitting on the board on defense. There's even some skill players. DK Metcalf, for example, imagine him running straight down the sideline, letting Josh Allen air it out to him. They don't have a big a big physical win on all levels of the field type receiver like Metcalf would bring. It'd be great value. But Josh Allen is never going to reach his maximum upside unless the guy can actually make some plays from the pocket and, and show off his God-given arm. That's why Jawan Taylor, offensive tackle, Florida, is the pick for Buffalo. And in a a draft class where the offensive tackles haven't necessarily been touted too much, we have two going off the board here in the top 10. Jawan Taylor, Florida Gators to the Buffalo Bills at number nine. Yeah, I like that a lot because you're adding a tackle that can play either side to a team that already has a tackle that can play either side. Deion Dawkins and Jawan Taylor could be interchangeable. You could kind of see which one fits better on either side. 
Uh, and, and again, you, you have to protect your investment in your young franchise quarterback. And, and this pick, you, you really can't go wrong there. Um, this is a super easy pick for me at 10 for the Denver Broncos. Uh, fantastic value perfect fit for their biggest need on defense, which I think is that difference maker at the heart of their defense. And this is where you start to feel more comfortable taking an inside linebacker, an off-the-ball guy. Uh, he's, he's actually a pretty good pass rusher for being an off-the-ball guy, but um, this just makes too much sense. Devin White, LSU, uh, the linebacker here to the Broncos. Call me a hater. I don't see it with Devin White, man. I, I know that he's got the film that people get excited about. But when I watch him on tape, you know, I see a lot of, of – this is an old-school name, uh, Aaron Curry back from the days. Oh, man, that's back, harsh. Way back, right? That's harsh. That's harsh, right? But there's one thing that Curry concerned me with on tape that ultimately ended up being his uh, fatal flaw in the NFL, and that was his – his high tackling style. You know, Devin White is a bigger, stronger, faster guy than pretty much anybody he plays against in college. And he can get away with poor uh, technique. He can get away with being a little bit more of a wild man at the, at the tackle point. He's not going to get away with that in the NFL. And I think he'll be in the right place at the right time on the next level. But I don't know if he'll be the kind of finisher that you really want on that second level. All that being said, the guy tested all out of this world at the combine. He does have moments on film where you say, wow, if this guy can really harness all that and get a little more consistent as a finisher, he could be a superstar. But as a top 10 pick, I want to see that already right now in somebody's game. And I don't see that with White. I actually like Devin Bush a lot more than Devin White. Well, I shouldn't say a lot more. I like him more than Devin White, but the narrative suggests White's going to be the first backer off the board and, and you know, a guy like Vic Fangio and loves those second level defenders, loves those linebackers from the days of Patrick Willis and, and what the bears did last year with Roquan Smith, you know, it just seems like such a natural fit for Devin White to be the pick there for the Broncos. And here we are with the Bengals who also need a linebacker and they're going to be happy that the Broncos went Devin White before them because they get the best one on the board. And that's Devin Bush. Devin Bush will step in. As the number 11 pick, I think we're going to see White and Bush picked, if not back-to-back. They're going to be picked within three or four picks of each other. Devin Bush, I think, is just as good of an athlete as Devin White. I like him better as a finisher. I think overall he's going to be a better NFL linebacker. So the Cincinnati Bengals, number 11 overall, Devin Bush from Michigan. Yeah, I I think you're completely right in in that range. I think that if Bush doesn't go – uh, 11 to the Bengals here. He will. He would go 12 to the Packers. If I'm picking for the Packers, I would have been happy to see him there on the board uh, because he would have been the pick. Now, that being the case, I'm not too uh, sad about my consolation prize here because Jimmy Graham, his 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 star has has flown the coop. He's you know whatever analogy you want to you know butcher like I just did, but. You know, whatever it is that Jimmy Graham is doing right now, it's not what he was doing in New Orleans. Uh, so that's he's chasing the chickens out yeah, of the coop sure. that are yeah, flying. Yeah, out that works. Yeah. Sure. Thanks for thanks for trying to save it for me, buddy. The, that that one's dead. Um, but I tell you what, man, pick your poison here with these Iowa tight ends. Uh, Noah Fant, T.J. Hawkinson, they're both very well-rounded guys. I think Hawkinson may be a bit more of a complete player. He's not the the vertical threat quite as much as, as Noah Fant can be, but I think because he's a little more well-rounded, he gives you a little bit more as a blocker. TJ Hawkinson's the pick to help out Aaron Rodgers here. You really can't go wrong. Like you said, either one of those guys are going to be, you put them on the Green Bay Packers, if it's Hawkinson or Fant, they're going to be a challenger for offensive rookie of the year, in my opinion, because just the volume of targets they should receive and their ability to do uh, to make plays after the catch. Um, again, <clears throat> looking at the board, I kind of favor Fant a little I, I more do than too. Hawkinson. My, my personal board, you know, my personal grades, I have Fant as the number one tight end, so I'm with you there. Yeah, so, but I think the narrative is going to play out as you have uh, uh, accurately stated here. I think Hawkinson, because he's a more of a well-rounded guy, because he has those flashes on tape where he just buries guys in the block, in the run game, I think it's going to push him up a little bit more in NFL front offices and Hawkinson will end up being the pick. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Fant, when it's all said and done, has a more impactful career as a receiver in the NFL. And that brings us to the Miami Dolphins. What in the world are the Miami Dolphins going to do here at number 13? Some of the players I would have liked for them to pick are off the board you know are, are is this drew locks landing spot i don't i don't think so i don't think drew lock is going to be a quarterback that is nearly is valued nearly as high as the draft media has outlined him to be um 
So I just kind of look here. Quarterback is obviously a big need. They need an offensive tackle. They lost Jawan James in free agency. Is there an offensive tackle here on the board that's worthy of the number 13 pick? Look, to be honest, I think an offensive tackle, if you have an offensive tackle that's a top 20 player, at number 13, you can't go wrong taking them. Uh, the Miami Dolphins at number 13 overall look with an eye toward the future, knowing that they're going to end up having a franchise quarterback drafted if it's not um, 2020, maybe 2021 if they're tanking for Trevor. Uh, you know, At some point, they're going to need to make sure that they have enough of a supporting cast around him to give him a chance to be successful. And it starts with Pass blocking, the best pass blocking offensive tackle is still on the board. This is going to seem high, and this might even come across as a little bit of a reach. But when you're rebuilding a franchise, you have to build up front. You have to build offensive line. And in today's NFL, you have to have a pass protecting offensive line. Andre Dillard, Washington State, the best pass protecting offensive tackle in the class. He's the pick number 13 overall to the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, like you said, when it comes to those premium positions, you, if you don't have a franchise left tackle, you need to go get one. And if you are confident in the guy, I mean, great athleticism, love the agility, uh, the ease of movement that we've seen from Dillard on film and at the Combine. I don't think if you're comfortable taking that guy at 20, why wouldn't you be comfortable taking him at 13? So that makes sense to me. If I'm the Atlanta Falcons, I'm thrilled with that pick because I think there's some similarity in terms of the bigger needs on defense for the the Dolphins and the Falcons. So to see the Dolphins pass on the edge guys and the interior guys that are still on the board, I think that makes the Falcons really happy. Uh, I think that, you know, if we didn't have concerns about Montez Sweat with the health and the, and the heart, I think he'd be an easy pick here. But because there's just that question mark. I think the Falcons go interior. Obviously, they have Grady Jarrett, who they franchised. Um, you know, but they still need another disruptive force in the at interior. And I think at this pick, I think you really can't argue with the value and the versatility, the athleticism for his size that you get with Christian Wilkins from Clemson. Love the pick, man. Love the player. Love the character. I think he's going to be just a, a really, really nice pro. Uh, Falcons fans might not be super excited about that selection, but again, you win games in the NFL. It starts from the inside out and you know starts from the offensive and defensive lines and work your way backward, and you can never have enough of those guys. So Wilkins, to me, makes a ton of sense. And now we're here, number 15, the Washington Redskins. And is this the Drew Locke territory? Is this Daniel Jones territory? I think the Washington Redskins, Redskins are going to come out of this draft with a quarterback, whether that's Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, or even Josh Rosen. Um, but knowing what we know now, which is Case Keenum is the starting quarterback, I still don't think they draft a quarterback here. I don't think one is rated high enough. I don't think one's going to come off the board here at this pick. I think the Washington Redskins need playmakers. The Washington Redskins need to add juice to their offense. They're getting Darius Geis back this year. They have Adrian Peterson back for another year. They have Case Keenum, who has proven comp to be a competent quarterback if everything else around him is strong. What they don't have is an alpha receiver, a dog on the outside who can make plays downfield, who can bully defensive backs for big plays when they need him most. And man, here we are at 15 with DK Metcalf still on the board. They got to take him. DK Metcalf, 15 to the Washington Redskins. Luke, before you take your next pick, I want to give the listeners a quick review. The first 15 picks, one, Cardinals, Kyler Murray, two, 49ers, Nick Bosa, three, Jets, curveball, Ed Oliver, four, Raiders, they get lucky, Quinn and Williams, five, Tampa Bay Buccaneers add juice to the pass rush and Josh Allen, number six, New York Giants, this is going to be a, a headline grabber, Dwayne Haskins quarterback next after Eli Manning, number seven, Jaguars, best offensive lineman on my board, Jonah Williams, number eight, Lions, NFC North, you got to get after Mitch Trubisky, you got to get after Matt Stafford, you got to get after Kirk Cousins, they do it with Brian Burns, number nine, Buffalo Bills, protect Josh Allen, you do it here with arguably the best tackle prospect on some boards in the class, Jawan Taylor, Number 10, Broncos. Vic Fangio loves linebackers, and he gets what many people think is the best in the class in Devin White. 11, Bengals. They need a linebacker too. They get my best in class in Devin Bush. 12, Packers. Give Aaron Rodgers more weapons. Let him get that intermediate passing game weapon and an all-around stud at tight end, TJ Hawkinson. Number 13, Dolphins. Another curveball here. A guy that goes a little higher in our mock draft than, than many have projected. Dolphins need to make sure they invest in the offensive line now to make sure their next investment in a quarterback is well protected. They do that. Andre Dillard. Number 14 to the Falcons. You just gave them Christian Wilkins. More beef in the interior defensive line. Great pick. Number 15 just came off the board. Redskins add a playmaker on the outside in DK Metcalf. And now you are on the board. Number 16, Carolina Panthers. Now, 
the, the Carolina Panthers just lost a future Hall of Famer in Julius Peppers, a guy that was a former number two pick because he was a ridiculous athlete for his size. Huge frame, very complete player, can get after the quarterback, can play the run. We talked about this guy earlier. If he checks out medically with the Carolina Panthers, I can't see them passing on getting maybe the next best thing. You're not going to find another Julius Peppers. That's how rare those players are. But you are going to get a 6'6", 260 pass rusher who put up consistent production, tackles for loss, and sack numbers in the SEC against the top competition in the country. And he runs a 4440. Give me Montez Sweat. Let me tell you something, Luke. Montez Sweat, in my opinion, for my money, physically, as long as he checks out medically, highest upside possibly of any defensive prospect in this class. He looks the part. He plays the part. He was productive. I, I don't get why people are knocking him. The dude is a stud at number 16 overall. We're going to look back on this draft. If this is how it falls, we're going to look back and say, holy cow, how the heck did the Panthers steal Montez Sweat at number 16 overall? Could go down as the best pick in the first round. People might not agree with me. We'll see what happens three years from now. Up next, I get the beloved New York Giants here. You had them at six. You took Dwayne Haskins. Now we're here at 17. You know, maybe they would have been in the market for a guy like DK Metcalf. He's gone. And honestly, I don't think it would be smart for the Giants to take a wide receiver with the pick that they traded Odell Beckham for because that would be the largest shadow for a rookie wide receiver to play in, possibly in the history of the NFL. I mean, to come in and be the guy that replaces Odell Beckham, the pick that represents what the Giants get for losing Odell Beckham. And if it's a guy at the same position, whoever's still on the board, let's say Hakeem Butler, who's my second best receiver in this class, he's going to be a stud in the NFL. But there's only one Odell Beckham. And Hakeem Butler, even if he's a 1,100-yard, nine-touchdown guy in the league, will always be viewed as a disappointment because he won't be Odell Beckham. So let's get off wide receiver. Let's look at what's next on their board. They need edge rushers. Uh, they need edge rushers in the worst way. They need offensive linemen. Um, what we have on the board still sitting here with Sean Gary. Shoulder injury was reported by Ian Rappaport this week. You know, is that going to be a, a um, an issue that pushes him down? Big guys that play along the defensive line as edge rushers, even sliding in maybe to the interior. They need that upper body strength. They need that shoulder, those shoulders to be healthy. Shoulders can be, you know, chronic issues that really derail players' careers. So I think Rashawn Gary is going to have a little bit of a free fall. You know, a player like Noah Fant is still on the board. Is he a player that the Giants value so highly that they say, look, regardless of the makeup of the position that we have right now on the roster with a former first round pick already in place. I don't think they go that route. Who's the best offensive lineman remaining on the board that can play offensive tackle in the pros? Cody Ford, Oklahoma. I think the Giants have to address offensive line in the first round. And even though Cody Ford isn't the highest graded guy in this class, he's the best remaining on the board who has a chance to play offensive tackle in the league. Giants are going to take Cody yeah, Ford. And I think you're going to start a little bit of a run here on offensive linemen because if I'm Minnesota, that's the unit that I've got to completely rebuild outside of maybe one spot. So I'm looking for a versatile guy that can play multiple positions, can start at multiple positions if I need him to. This may seem early for some people. I know you're not one of them. I know you're as high on this guy as I am. You, you know what's Bring coming, it, man. I'm Bring going it. to I know Manhattan, Kansas, and I'm getting Dalton Reisner from Kansas State, baby. Oh, yes. And you know what? I'm immediately regretting my 17th pick. I, I am immediately regretting overlooking Dalton Reisner and saying to myself, why didn't I not draft the guy who I think is going to be a 10-year starter, borderline pro bowler, uh, for as long as he's healthy and on the field. That's a great pick, great value. And I think uh, when it's all said and done, Dalton Reisner could actually outplay some of the guys that have already been drafted in this mock draft ahead of him. And that brings us to the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans, uh, you know, they they were a very hard team to read last year. They had, uh, you know, as, as they rode Derrick Henry down the back half of the season, I think you're going to see a lot more of that this year. But they need to bring in more options, more weapons for Marcus Mariota and the offense. I know they have issues at edge. They need some other, um, some help in the interior offensive line. Um, but I think if you look at a, a quarterback's best friend and a guy who has really been a huge target for Marcus Mariota and Delaney Walker over the last few years, Walker isn't getting any younger. He got hurt last year. Why not bring in? the heir to Walker's throne and a player who probably has as much, if not more upside as a pass catching tight end here at number 19, the other Iowa tight end, Noah Fant off the board. Here, yeah. I mean, uh, the Tennessee you, you got to make Mariota happy. This is a similar situation. Tennessee's in to, to Tampa Bay. You've got to find out this year 
whether Marcus Mariota is your guy, the Bucks have to do it with Jameis Winston. And the only way you do that is by putting them in position to make plays. You do that by protecting them. You do that by giving them weapons. The the they have great tackles in in Tennessee. I could see them going with an interior lineman here, uh, but you have to give them some sort of support. And whether that's a lineman or whether it's a pass catching weapon like Noah Fant, uh, I think either one of those directions would make a ton of sense. Pittsburgh at twenty. I think this is a, a perfect match of of need and value. There is not a bigger need on this team uh, outside of you know replacing Ryan Shazier, which is completely impossible. Uh, obviously, I think the Pittsburgh would love to get their hands on a guy like Devin Bush, but I think they're going to have to trade up to do it. If they don't, there's nothing this team needs worse than a corner, an actual, you know, number one shutdown corner who can grow with with this team and, and be that number one guy. I have my my doubts about this guy being a complete player, but I think if Pittsburgh is making this pick, I think they're going to go with upside. They're going to go with athleticism and speed. I think they value that a bit more at the position. Uh, my number. This is not my number one corner in the draft, but I think this pick fits the Steelers and what they like better. Give me Greedy Williams from LSU. Love the pick. And I think Greedy Williams is being knocked way too much because of his lack of enthusiasm when it comes to playing against the run and maybe tackling. But Tell me ugh, what this is a passing do, right? league. And a guy... Exactly. And a guy with length who can play in man coverage, who can... If he is who we think he is, could be the kind of cornerback who can lock up with an opposing team's number one receiver and follow him all over the field. That has unbelievable value in the pros. And I think Reed Williams could be a player that come you know Friday morning, we're like, wow, he went a lot higher than the draft narrative told us he would. But here at number 20, I think, yes, the Steelers need to get a cornerback who can actually play and is actually worth the first round pick. And Greedy Williams is that guy. And that moves us up to number 21 in the Seattle Seahawks, who um, just traded Frank Clark to the Kansas City Chiefs. So now they have an even more glaring need at edge rusher. And I think the way the board has fallen, this is where we see the end of the Rashawn Gary fall. Uh, there are questions about Gary's shoulder. There are questions about his overall body of work at Michigan. Is he a guy that's going to play every down to the maximum uh, You know, with that high engine type, high motor? that you want to see from a defender that you pick in the first round? Is he a player who, you know, looks like Tarzan plays like Jane at this point in the draft, he's worth the risk because the upside of Rashawn Gary is a double digit sack guy who can do so many things well, because he's such a great athlete at such a, it's such a big man's frame. And I think the Seahawks are the kind of team that can get the most out of players like Rashawn Gary. So they need an edge rusher uh, more so than any position right now. Rashawn Gary is arguably a top 10 talent who's sitting here at number 21, Rashawn Gary Edge from Michigan goes to the Seahawks. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I think that, you know, this is a team that's shown they're willing to take a little bit of a risk, whether it's injury, whether it's character uh, on athletes, versatile defensive linemen is something they definitely love. Um, this is the part of the draft where where we start to see weird, weird stuff, right? You know, we start to see in the 20s, we start to see those guys come off the board where you're like, wait a minute. I, I didn't expect to hear this guy's name until, you know, at least day two, you know, maybe even to the third round. You know, this this pick is a surprise whether last year was Terrell Edmonds, um, the safety out of Virginia Tech going in the first round. The surprise is I'm going to make that pick right now. I'm going to I'm going to make a pick that that people if this happens on draft night, they're going to be like, what is going on? Maybe, you know, obviously the position makes sense. But why this guy with the way the the board has fallen? But the suspense is killing me. The suspense is killing me. Let's. Look at how, you know, what do the Baltimore Ravens need? They need a wide receiver. They need a playmaking wide receiver, a true number one wide receiver that that this team, that, that Lamar Jackson can grow with. He's got 40 million tight ends that can that can run block all day long and catch the ball in the red zone. <laughs> but when you, when you yeah, and one of them's of, approaching 40 years football, old, I think. You know, an NFL team needing a number one receiver, when you think of a conventional offense, what are those types of guys that we think about? We think about, you know, look at the guys that are on the board now. We think of a, a Hakeem Butler, uh, an Akeel Harry, maybe an A.J. Brown, guys, big, physical, complete wide receivers that can win at every level of the game. Here's the problem with, with trying to project that to the Baltimore Ravens, is that the Baltimore Ravens offense is not built like conventional NFL offenses nowadays. They are built around doing what Lamar Jackson does well, running the ball heavily, and what kind of receiver fits what you're trying to protect from Lamar Jackson. What does he struggle with right now? He struggles with deep ball accuracy, throwing the ball down the field, and doing you know the, the deep to intermediate routes 
that that challenge him as a pocket passer right now. I think he can develop those areas of his game, but right now you're trying to make his life as easy as possible. So how do you draft a number one wide receiver that fits that scheme? I tell you how you do it. You go find a guy who has blazing speed, who has a track record of maybe not being the most complete guy in terms of his route tree, but what does he do his best work on? He does it on hitches. He does it on screens. He does it by getting the ball into his hands as quickly as possible and making big plays. And you and I have talked about this before. There are certain thresholds that when guys hit these thresholds at the combine and the 40 yard dash in particular, those guys don't stay on the board long. And that's why all of those reasons combined that leads me to throw the biggest curveball in this mock draft so far, the 22nd overall pick is Paris Campbell, the wide receiver from Ohio State. Wow. Wow. That is – I love it. I actually really like the pick, and I, and I do think Paris Campbell is going to be valued uh, much higher than uh, draft media has um, has assessed up to this point. Campbell has been knocked because of his questionable hands, his limited route tree on film – but like you said, man, you know, you can't you can't knock a guy for doing exactly what his offense asked him to do. And that's what Ohio State, Ohio State asked Paris Campbell to do is what we saw on film. He didn't have to he wasn't asked to run down the field and and, and make plays down the field as a, as a traditional receiver. Whether he can or can't on the next level, we'll soon obviously find out. But like you said, if he just does for Baltimore what he did well for Ohio State seems like a an absolutely perfect marriage with uh with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. And now we're here at number 23 with the Houston Texans who look, I mean, offensive tackle is their number one and most obvious need, but the way this draft has fallen, there, there's just no one on the board that would justify the number 23 pick. And to be honest, if the board falls this way, I could see the Texans scrambling to try to trade out, but they do need offensive line, period. They also could use an interior offensive lineman. And the way this is shaped out for them or the way the first round has, has kind of been pared down, go best player available at a position of need and you're getting a high character football player who's going to be another decade-long st- starter as an interior offensive lineman. Let's go Garrett Bradbury, the NC State uh, uh, interior lineman, whether he's playing guard or center free in the next level. Just get somebody up front that can keep Deshaun Watson upright, give him a chance to actually make plays because Deshaun Watson has a chance to be a top four or five quarterback in the league if he could just have more time to throw the ball. Bradbury, to me, is the best offensive lineman left on the board. The, the Texans cannot go in any other direction but offensive line. Yeah, Bradbury's the it. pick if, here. If you're not gonna, you don't, you don't want to reach for the next level of tackles. Go ahead and, and get the value, get the best available blocker, no matter where he's going to line up, because you have to you have to protect Deshaun Watson and keep him healthy. If I'm the Oakland Raiders here, man, I'm really happy with the pick I'm about to make because I, I kind of went away from need and went for value in the top five. I got Quinnen Williams, who I think is the best player in this draft but I'm still going to land a, a fantastic pass rusher, one of the most complete edge rushers in this draft. I think you know, we get draft fatigue about so many guys. I think Cleland Farrell is one of those guys in this draft. He's not the most explosive guy off the edge. He doesn't have Brian Burns' you know, explosiveness in that first step. He doesn't have you know, the gaudy numbers necessarily that Josh Allen had uh, this past season. He's maybe not the, the, the big physical stout you know, edge setter. But what he does is combine all of those things as well as any other edge defender in this draft. He's one of the most complete players at the position and getting him at 24 after the career he had at Clemson, I think is a huge bargain. I, I agree with you at every step of the way there. I mean, Cleland Farrell is a player that I think actually can, again, I, this is kind of a recurring theme here, but I do think the NFL will value him a little bit higher than this. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes ahead of a player like Brian Burns on draft day, just because he's a more easy to predict player in the NFL. And while the first round should be about swinging on home run picks, there are also situations like the Raiders where I don't know if they necessarily should be swinging on home runs with their second and third first rounders. They have a home run already with Quinton Williams in this mock draft, getting a guy like Cleveland Farrell at number 24. He's a, he's a plug and play starter from day one at a position that they are so in desperate need of. They only had about five sacks from their edge defenders last year or just period. I mean, that that's disgusting. <clears throat> so you get a guy like Farrell to come in, plug and play starter from day one. That's a big win for them. 
Now we have the Philadelphia Eagles here at number 25, who I think that the, the popular pick would have been a running back uh, before the Jordan Howard trade. I don't know. I don't know if the Jordan Howard trade necessarily will change that. Um, Jordan Howard is a good player. Again, circling back, this might be the third or fourth time. I th- we need one of those like dinging bells every time I mention the Bears. But I watched Jordan Howard um, every single carry of his entire pro career up to this point, and I respect him. He's a 1,200-yard back, but is he a game changer who can – um, really take advantage of everything that Carson Wentz does well. You know, is, is he the kind of running back who will be able to make plays as a receiver out of the backfield? We know the answer to that. The answer is no. Um, and they only gave up a, a, a day three pick next year for him. So there's a very low investment in him. He is in the last year of his contract. I highly doubt, unless he has a huge career season in Philadelphia, that they're going to resign him to a big second contract uh, to be their bell cow back. So you got... Um, let me see here who's on the board. Where am I going here? I just lost my uh, – uh, where the heck is he? Uh, you got Josh Jacobs still sitting here. Alabama's running back. Now, I am not hot to trot for Josh Jacobs. I think um, there's a little bit of Trent Richardson syndrome that I still am recovering from when I watch a big Alabama running back whose feet aren't necessarily the quickest in the class, who uh, who, who wins on those explosive tackle-breaking style runs. But – Getting to that second level where you can break that tackle and maybe make that seven or eight yard chunk play, does he have the feet behind the line of scrimmage to get to that point? We saw Trent Richardson in the NFL was not able to do that, um, and he wasn't even able to do that in the in the short lived uh, AAF. Josh Jacobs is he able to do that? I don't know. I don't think he can. I'm not totally a huge fan of his, but. Let's go with what the draft narrative has been up to this point, that Josh Jacobs is RB1 in this class. And the Philadelphia Eagles, who, again, it's about building around your quarterback. I think Josh Jacobs is a quarter, could be a quarterback's best friend as a receiver out of the backfield, plus his playmaking ability as a pure runner. Philadelphia Eagles, number 25, despite having Jordan Howard on the roster, they're going to go yeah, Josh honestly, Jacobs. I wouldn't back be surprised Alabama. if we get through all of Thursday night without a running back. Not, not necessarily because I'm not a fan of Josh Jacobs, although – uh, even as my RB one in this class, he has a, a second round grade. Every I didn't have a, a running back with a first round grade this year. I just think there's so much depth at running back this year that you you can get you know the drop off between Jacobs and and maybe the fourth or fifth back or even the eighth or ninth back in this class isn't enough uh, to probably warrant a first round pick unless you're a team like the Eagles who has you know very few glaring needs. Uh, and can afford to make that pick. They've got two second-round picks as well, so they can afford this kind of luxury. If I'm the Colts here, there's a player here that I just I think is a perfect fit. Uh, it'd be hard for me to pass on some of the receivers that are still on the board, but again, they have a very high second-rounder. They picked 34 thanks to that trade last year with the Jets moving down from number three to six. So I can wait on a receiver. I think I'm still going to like who I get at 34. And that's why I'm going to go with the best fit. It fits a need. They need a versatile, disruptive interior defender. This is a guy who can line up all over the place. Massive frame, very athletic. Uh, I love him on and off the field. Give me Notre Dame's Jerry Tillery here. Love it. Love it. Jerry Tillery is a guy that the more I've watched of him as the draft season has progressed, the more I think his upside is is massive. And 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 even if he's not the kind of player that's going to fill up a stat sheet, uh, he's a disruptive interior player and, and disruption doesn't necessarily come across on the box score unless you're paying attention to pro football focuses grades. He's going to be the kind of player that creates that kind of disruption. And, and I think that's a, a really sound pick. And here we are, the third selection in the first round for the Oakland Raiders. Uh, they've already uh, landed Quinn Williams. They already landed Qu- uh, Cleland Farrell. And Let's stick with the defensive theme. I mean, they added a lot of offense in free agency. Um, they need another cornerback. They need a starting cornerback who can play at a high level, who can be a playmaker on the ball, and the best available corner at this point in the draft and a player that I know has a much higher grade in NFL circles uh, because of his his you know his click and close ability, his movement skills. Byron Murphy from Washington at number 27 overall. The Raiders essentially in the first round landed three Huge upgrades on defense, three instant starters, three instant playmakers to a team that really, you know, you look at how they look now coming out of the first round with Quinn Williams, Cleveland Farrell, and Byron Murphy. You're talking about three of your 11 defensive starters being completely rewritten here in this draft with massive upside. All these players will have that fifth year option attached to them. So they're going to be foundation pieces moving forward. And, you know, essentially you get the front seven strengthened up. Now you get, now you work on the secondary Byron Murphy here. Yeah, for the I Oakland love Raiders, this pick. He is the top cornerback in this draft for me. I think that 
what he lacks in terms of size and, and speed he makes up for with his brain, honestly, in every way, his instincts, his intelligence, uh, the way he plays the ball in the air. I, I think he's the most complete corner in this draft. Uh, and I think he would be an instant upgrade there for the Raiders. And and again, the Raiders pick 35th again. So you're talking about a team that gets those three quality starters and a chance to get a fourth uh, early in the second round. So the Chargers, this is kind of an unexpected situation for me because they have some needs along the defensive line. They could use offensive line help at tackle. They could use another corner, a linebacker maybe. But I tell you what, when you get a chance to replace a Hall of Fame quarterback with a potential franchise quarterback at the end of the second, at the end of the first round at 28th overall, I- I'm kind of surprised to see both drew lock and Daniel Jones sitting here. And I think uh, if this were the pick, I think drew lock would get the edge both for me and the chargers here. So that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to get Phillip rivers, eventual successor in a, a, a raw, but very talented, very strong armed quarterback in drew lock. And, and this is a round where I think we could see Drew Locke end up. Um, this back half of the first round, if it's not to a team with an organic pick like the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, it could be for a team that trades back into the first round when these quarterbacks start sliding just to get that valuable fifth-year option. And I, I would be comfortable with Drew Locke and or Daniel Jones going in this range versus being a top 10, top 8 pick. I, I think Locke has a lot of warts on tape. I think his accuracy leaves a lot to be desired, and I'm not one of these guys who believes that you suddenly can develop that in the NFL. He's got the big rocket arm that's in vogue now with Patrick Mahomes, um, but I, I just don't think he's anywhere near that level of upside as a guy like Mahomes who can just improvise like he has and is fearless in the pocket. Drew Locke is not a fearless pocket passer. Uh, he gets a little desperate at times, just, just throws some head-scratching passes. And again, you're, you can have the strongest arm in the world, but if, if you can't hit your target, it's worthless. So. I think Locke going to the Chargers be, with the with the benefit of sitting behind Rivers and and learning a little bit more of of how to be a pro quarterback for the next year or two maybe three would be the best possible fit for him and it would be a smart pick for the Chargers who you know you want to be able to have that bridge to the future on the roster and, and Locke would certainly be that guy and now we move to the now Seattle Seahawks which a few hours ago we're recording this on Tuesday night it was the Kansas City Chiefs now it's the Seahawks who are sitting here and they already drafted Rashawn Gary at number 20. What pick was that? 21. They still have some needs on defense. You know, the Legion of Boom is long, uh, you know, in its grave at this point. So they need to look at the secondary, obviously here. um, But I just don't think they can pass up value for the guy that they just signed to the highest contract in the NFL, Russell Wilson. I think they have to give Russell Wilson for the first time in his career, an alpha dog wide receiver who can is along the lines of DK Metcalf from a size and speed combination. And I actually think he's a little bit more of a refined route runner at this point in his career, has more of an ability to actually separate from cornerbacks on the intermediate routes and doesn't need to always rely on size and speed to win. And this could be a, a superstar in the fantasy football circles. Hakeem Butler, Iowa State wide receiver, goes here to the Seattle Seahawks despite bigger needs probably in the secondary. They're just going to take the guy that can uh, give an even higher return on their investment with Russell yeah, Wilson. Yeah, I love this pick. Hakeem He's Butler uh, is the, the second best wide receiver in this class and not very far behind uh, DK Metcalf, in my opinion. Just love the size, love the speed, love the ability to, to abuse smaller DVs in the red zone. Uh, I think that's definitely something that is not on the roster uh, in Seattle and something that will make uh, Russell Wilson just that much more valuable. This pick for Green Bay, I'd love you know they have even after free agency, there's still some needs on defense. The biggest one uh, would be inside linebacker, but there's not a linebacker here. Uh, so when all else fails, what do you do? You try to help your franchise quarterback. You've got Aaron Rodgers. You need him to be at his best. This pick is boring. People aren't gonna you know lose their minds over it in a good way. Uh, but it helps solidify the offensive line. It helps protect Aaron Rodgers to let him do what he does best. We're going to take the best pure right guard in this draft. Give me Chris Lindstrom out of Boston College. Interesting selection. And I, I think this is something that they definitely could and probably should do because we've seen uh, Aaron Rodgers take a little bit of a, a, a more of a beating in recent years. And his body has started to show signs of breaking down. What was the collarbone a couple seasons ago? He banged up his leg last year. You know, you got to keep him upright. You know, guys, when they get to the other side of, of their mid to late thirties, their body just can't withstand the same kind of punishment it did earlier in their career. And I think we're seeing that with Aaron Rodgers giving him Noah Fant, uh, TJ Hawkinson, I'm sorry, with their first pick. 
actually extends his career a little bit because he has that bailout option in the passing game and now another interior offensive lineman who, again, if we look at some of the earlier picks where we were focusing on interior defensive linemen and the, and the increased value and role that these guys have in today's NFL defenses, getting an interior offensive lineman to block them is critically important. So Lindstrom would make a ton of sense. And now we're here at number 31 and the Los Angeles Rams. And this is a really interesting point in the draft because you're starting to hear some chatter about what is Jared Goff's future with this team. You know, for most of last season, he looked like an MVP candidate. And then as the, maybe the last quarter of the year uh, came upon us, the wheels started coming off a little bit. Defenses, I think the Chicago Bears put the ring the bell, ding. I think the Chicago Bears uh, gave other you know teams around the league a blueprint for how to basically slow the Rams offense and made Jared Goff look a little more like the rookie year Jared Goff versus the potential MVP candidate that he was in 2018. And he never really got back to that ridiculous form in Sean McVay's offense. And I think, I mean, is this Daniel Jones, Luke? It, it, could we really see the Rams take a guy like Daniel Jones at the end of the first round. They have needs edge linebacker or secondary needs some help. You could even see maybe an Irv Smith sneak into the end of the first round here as a tight end option for them. Is this the Daniel Jones landing spot? The answer is no, it's not. Daniel Jones is not going to be the Rams pick. And actually I'm going to go a complete and total absolute insane wild card here. The Los Angeles Rams are going to give more firepower to what's already the most explosive offense. They're going to draft pure speed. They're going to draft pure electrifying playmaking ability to make Jared Goff even better. Here we are, number 31, Marquise Do Hollywood it. Brown, Oklahoma I, uh, wide receiver to the Rams. One of my popular mock draft picks lately has been sending Marquise Brown to the Chiefs at number 29 when they had that pick prior to that trade. So uh, it's definitely not a big need for them either. But man, wouldn't you love to see uh, Patrick Mahomes throw into a guy like that. And I, I think it would do the same thing for the Rams offense. I think I think in this scenario, if we were, you know, a mock draft that we're dealing with trades, obviously we'd see these quarterbacks probably coming off the board earlier. But if Daniel Jones did make it to 31, considering the Rams don't have a second round pick, would be looking to recoup some other picks. I think that would be definitely the spot where teams may be trying to jump ahead of New England to get Daniel Jones here. But if he's still on the board, Here's the, but here, here's but here the you thing, are, here you are, Luke. Thirty-two Patriots, the eighty-five-year-old Tom Brady, I, Daniel Jones you know, on the board, man. I'm, Pull the trigger, I'm man. Do it here because it makes so much sense <laughs> on the surface. But I really think that until the the Patriots are forced to do it, I do not think that they are going to bring in legitimate young competition for for Tom Brady. I don't think they're going to do it. I, I think that the power struggle we've seen between. Brady and Belichick and and Bob Kraft and this whole dynamic with having a Jimmy Garoppolo and trading him away, having Jacoby Brissett trading him away, doing all this. And, and if Tom Brady is really going to continue to play another two or three seasons at a high level, if that's the plan and you're trying to do whatever you can to support him and not bring in another quarterback that's going to kind of be looking over his shoulder and waiting for him to decide he's done or for him to stop playing. I don't know that the Patriots are going to make that decision until what we would believe is too late. Uh, you know, so I don't know if Daniel Jones is the pick here unless they trade out of this pick and, and it may be a surprise to people, but I'm going to leave Daniel Jones on the board here. I'm going to do what I think the Patriots would do if they stay at this pick. There are very few teams that can afford the luxury of taking a player that may not play in 2019. The it is. This is such a Patriots pick, so and everybody and will be why, because disgusted. Took Isaiah Wynn last year, he injured himself. He missed his whole rookie season, and the Patriots won the Super Bowl anyway because that's what they do. They wait, they let the board come to them, and they are built depth-wise to, to be able to withstand those types of significant injuries. And that's why the Patriots are going to sit here at number 32. They're not going to take a quarterback. They're going to take a guy who, if you ask anybody in the league, anybody who evaluates people in the media, they would say that if this guy was healthy, if this guy did not have you know, any sort of concerns that aren't football-related, this guy's a top 10, maybe even a top 5 pick in this draft, and he's going to be here at 32 because he's rehabbing a torn ACL. The Patriots are going to do it again. They're going to make everybody angry. And in 2020, when this guy is back to full strength and starting on this defensive line, they're going to wonder how in the world Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State got to 32. That That is a scary proposition and a completely Patriots pick. 
And it's one of those things where Bill Belichick just continues to build the system, continues to add high upside talent uh, at a major discounted price. And like you said, he is a top seven, eight, nine, top 10, top five pick. Getting him at 32, good Lord. I mean, that that's just uh, an unjust enrichment for a team that has uh, seen its fair share of riches over the last, I don't know how many years it is now. It seems like literally forever. Uh, let's recap really quick, and then we'll go into some of uh, some players that maybe you think um, – uh, should that slipped out of the first round in our mock draft. Kyler Murray, one to the Cardinals, Boza, two to the 49ers, Oliver, three to the Jets, Raiders, Quinn and Williams at number four, Buccaneers, Josh Allen, the edge rusher from Kentucky, Giants at number six. There it is, Dwayne Haskins, quarterback, Ohio State, number seven, Jaguars, Jonah Williams, number eight, Lions, Brian Burns, number nine, the Bills went Jawan Taylor, number 10, the Broncos go Devin White, followed by the Bengals who go linebacker as well with Devin Bush. The Packers add that tight end they haven't had since really Jermichael Finley. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, the, the Dolphins at number 13, protect the quarterback with Andre Dillard, number 14, the Falcons, interior defensive lineman, Christian Wilkins, number 15, the Redskins get that big alpha wide receiver in DK Metcalf. Panthers, one of the highest upside defensive linemen in the draft, Montez Sweat. The Giants now protect their young quarterback, Cody Ford from Oklahoma. The Vikings at 18, they get arguably who I think could be the most underrated player in the class, Dalton Reisner. Number 19, the Tennessee Titans get the other Iowa tight end who might be better than the guy that was drafted before him, Noah Fant. Number 20, the Steelers, Greedy Williams, cornerback from LSU. Number 21, the Seahawks uh, benefit from the fall of Rashawn Gary, who is at their pick at number 21. Number 22, Luke's curveball, the Baltimore Ravens, Paris Campbell, the receiver who seems like the perfect pit fit for Lamar Jackson. Number 23, the Texans protect Deshaun Watson with Garrett Bradbury. Number 24, the Raiders, plug-and-play starter on the edge, Cleland Farrell. Number 25, the Eagles, despite Josh Howard, uh, despite Jordan Howard, still go running back with Josh Jacobs. Number 26, the Colts, high upside, disruptive defensive lineman Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame. Number 27, the Raiders, stick, stick to defense with Byron Murphy, the cornerback. <coughs> Number 28, the Los Angeles Chargers get quarterback next in Drew Locke, who has a little bit of a fall here in our mock, but I think this is very realistic. Number 29, the Seattle Seahawks. They give Russell Wilson a present here uh, with a nice big bow wrapped all around it with Hakeem Butler uh, to be his new go-to guy. Number 30, the Packers. It's still about Aaron Rodgers. Chris Lindstrom, the offensive lineman from Boston College. Number 31, surprise pick for most, uh, but I think this would be a, a wonderful addition to an already dynamic offense. The Rams go Marquise Brown from Oklahoma, and the Patriots, as we just talked about, uh, get the ridiculous value in Jeffrey Simmons at number 32. So looking at this real quick, uh, we'll wrap it up here. We've just hit the one-hour mark, and, and I'm sure – um, fans listening to this podcast would probably like us to go into the second and third round, but we're obviously not going to do that. Looking at this, you know, traditional years, Luke, cornerback is such a valued position in the NFL draft. We usually see several of them come off the board in the first round, only two this year. And the first one doesn't, in this mock, I should say, and, and the first one doesn't come off the board till number 20 with Greedy Williams. The second is number 27 to Byron Murphy. We have three quarterbacks, which is an under. I think if you had the over-under, it would be set at four. We're under here with three. Uh, Daniel Jones falls out of the first round. And, uh, you know, aside of that, no, I don't really, I really see many surprises in our mock. Anything out. stick out to you? Paris Campbell being in, uh, really take those take the cake. I really, you know, I'm scrolling up and down this list, and there are guys that if they were first-round picks would make sense. Maybe Dexter Lawrence, the defensive lineman from Clemson, could sneak in there to the Rams at 31. I think he'd be a good fit. Um, you know, there, there's a handful of guys that if they went there, I'd be like, ah, that makes sense. That, 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 that value makes sense to me in the fit. Um, but there's really nobody outside of, again, Daniel Jones being on the boy. And if you're the Arizona Cardinals, boy, are you loving Daniel Jones being on the board at 33 going into Friday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning, you get to hold court, oh, yes. auction off that pick all day long after taking Kyler Murray and trading away Josh Rosen for whatever you get there. What a fantastic scenario for the Cardinals. Think about this, Luke. They could be sitting there at number 33 with two assets like Josh Rosen and Daniel Jones, essentially, that they can move all around the day two draft board with. Three you know, potential teams that want to trade up for 32 for Daniel Jones, for 33 for Daniel Jones. I mean, that is crazy. That's crazy to think of how much the, the Cardinals could take advantage of this draft board as it's fallen. Um, and, you know, I was thinking, too, that we have Marquise Hollywood-Brown going to the Rams at 31. If he slips into day two, imagine adding him in Arizona with 
Kyler Murray. I mean, kind of just keeping that connection going. It's a team that needs uh, wide receivers anyway. Bringing him in, the familiarity he already has with Kyler Murray, putting him on the field with Larry Fitzgerald. Keep an eye on that pick. If, if he does make his way out of the first round, I think that could be a no-brainer for the Cardinals at the top of the second round. But Luke, we have arrived finally on draft quote-unquote weekend. It's really a, an early start to the weekend, but it's a three-day experience. Tell the listeners where they'll be able to find yeah, you, man, what your plan is for draft down. weekend, what are you going to be pumping out over at the draft We're going to have analysis wire. of every single pick uh, throughout the first round. We'll have grades on every pick instantly. We're going to be breaking down all the news, the trades, the rumors. Um, we'll, I mean, it, it, content will just be pouring out of the draft wire and everywhere. I got a fantastic team of writers over there that's going to be uh, busting their tails all night long. So um, get with us on social media. Look for it there. Come to the draft wire. We're going to have you know instant analysis, like I said, of every pick. We'll be up to date on everything. We'll be tracking it. Uh, and, and every single way you can think of to package uh, the information coming out of Nashville, uh, we're going to have it there for you. And look, I mean, some would argue that, you know, me over at withthefirstpick.com, you over at the draft wire, this is, this is wonderful, right? Two sites that you could argue are jockeying for eyeballs and clicks on draft weekend coming together in, in harmony and unity and just peace and love. And this is what it's all about in the draft community. And you'll be able to find uh, some great work over at with the first pick as well to, to complement and contrast and compare with what's going on over at the draft wire. You know, Luke and I will be in constant communication throughout the entire draft process. So you'll get Luke's reactions. You'll get mine over on the, on with the first pick, as well as on Twitter at Brian Perez NFL. That's Brian with a Y. Uh, and make sure you check back here at the, with the first pick podcast, because we will be running some episodes. I might be running solo over the next couple of, t- of shows that come up, but we'll be reviewing the draft, uh, the draft grades, how the first round went. We'll go division by division, breaking down your favorite teams draft hall and whether or not they, they won, lost, or have somewhat of an incomplete um, uh, outing here over the next couple of days. Keep one thing in mind as you're going through the draft process, though. It's very important to, to remember that draft classes and grades that you read from a draft class are not made after just three days of a weekend in Nashville, Tennessee. You're going to see players who are signed off the street after the draft, who will outperform players drafted in the second and third round. You'll see sixth and seventh rounders on your favorite team that play better than your first and second round pick. So make sure you pay close attention to day three because that's where teams are built. That's where franchises and Super Bowl championship rosters ultimately get cultivated. And, um, you know, you're going to, it's, it's, it's awesome clicking on the draft grades. And I want you to do that over with the first pick, do that over at the draft wire, but just, Pump the brakes on forming a firm opinion on who your team drafts because it does take, you know, the the general industry standard is give it three years before you can really make an assessment on whether or not your team hit or missed. Look at Jared Goff, for example, as a perfect case study after year one. Number one pick overall quarterback looked like a bust last year. He was on pace to potentially be an MVP. So you can't form a concrete opinion until these guys get a chance to actually play on Sundays. But that's what we're here for. We're here to give you the knee jerk reaction. We're here to give you that that fast and furious response and and and, and uh, gut feeling for how your team did. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Make sure you give us a, a review. Rate the podcast. Uh, we could be found anywhere that you download your your uh, your podcast, whether it's Apple iTunes or Apple Podcast. I don't even know what they call it anymore. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, or Stit. Look. I may not be versed in all the podcast carriers, but you know where to find us. You know where to subscribe. You know where to rate and review. And come on back, everybody. We'll be back in a few days after the first round ends with another episode. Luke, thanks a million for being here again, my friend. I can't wait to check out your work. And join us again next time on the With the First Pick podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.